What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam, JJ's Bourbon Bar Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going going pretty well. We've had a, a morbid day here at the uh, Kalal homestead. We just did some will signing. Uh, yeah, we th- did. Thanks to... The fantastic witness, Graham Waldrop. You did a great job. Yeah, made some signatures. With your nonsense signature. Nonsense. It, it doesn't say Graham Waldrop. It, it's like when... It's, our, the, it's the beginning and the end. You know, I try to do like the, the superstar. Is there a G in there? Yeah, it starts with a G. Okay. And I go like R and then... And then wrap the P around it. You know, it's like that. that's how you do it. That's how you, 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 you make it look like you know what you're doing by... Making the signature look like it's incomprehensible to read, like I, you're a fucking illiterate or something. That's that's fair though, because I, I do remember like growing up, you know, my signature, and to this day, like you can see Adam Kalal, but I remember getting like Jeff Blauser's signature on uh, the the lid of one of my uh, Napa Braves hats they would give out at uh, Turner Field back in the day. Of course, and. You know, it's just like a little J and then a bunch of squiggles and just like very, very smooth with it. It's like you have to have that if you're a pro athlete who's just signing all the time. So I think you might be on your way with at least your signature, Graham. Yeah. And, you know, I think probably that played a, a part in how I sign my name now because, you know, I got I think it was after like the 97 NLDS or something. Keith Lockhart. When you're eight years old. Seven. Uh, but, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're '90s baby. That's yeah, right. I'm a '90s baby. Um, but yeah, Keith Lockhart had a big series, and he was signing stuff at the CNN Center. And my dad and I went, and I got my little uh, Tasmanian Devil football signed by Keith Lockhart, and it was just like K, and then and then like you saw like the outline of an L, and then a T at the end. I think I'm just inspired by that. Uh, same thing with Tom Glavin. Actually, I met Tom Glavin at a Chuck E. Cheese when I was six. One of my earliest memories. What the hell is he doing at a Chuck E. Cheese? He was with his kids. Um, oh, it wasn't like a, a official Braves sponsored thing. No, it wasn't. We I was just at Chuck E. Cheese with some friends, and one of the, my uh, my friend's mom pointed. I was like, "Holy shit, this Tom Glavin!" Well, she didn't say "Holy shit," but she said, "You know, that's Tom Glavin." And I was like, "Fuck!" And I, you know, when I maybe I was it was like somewhere in the six to eight range, and I went up to him and I said, "I remember this for the rest of my life." I went up to him and said. Mr. Glavin, I'm such, you know, I'm such a big fan of yours. Thank you for everything. And he goes, you don't look so big to me. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Yeah. But he smiled and signed the shit. And then initially, I was like, I was like, man, that, that, that was weird. But then, you know, as you grow older, you get like what he was doing. He was just having fun. Um, but it was, it, was, it was a good time. Um, I mean, Tom Glavin, of course. I want to go back before we get into the, you know, what we're really here for today. Right. <laughs> you mentioned Keith Lockhart. Keith Lockhart. Just a fantastic, one of those guys, fantastic pinch hitters, kind of like Eric Kinski. Yeah. Not a guy you want to play every day. No, but also good utility infielder, play, could play second, shortstop, or third base. I feel like with the, you know, the full-time DH, that's just something that isn't as needed anymore. So I don't think we have like a Keith Lockhart. Nicky Lopez could be a Keith Lockhart type. I suppose, but like he, he just like he's not going to play as much as Keith yeah, Lockhart like, would. Like yeah. Keith Lockhart would get at least an at bat every day, you know. Yeah, or something like that. He would he would get multiple at bats a week. Right. Nicky Lopez gets multiple at bats a month. So yeah, yeah. just kind of like borderline could be starter. 
I guess I'm not going anywhere with this, mm-hmm. but I just I times kinda, have changed. I, I kind of miss that. You yeah, know? I miss that too. There's there's a part of me that misses having the pitcher um, batting. There's a part of me that misses the strategy that comes of that from a, a manager in terms of when are they going to pull a pitcher? Or are they going to do a double switch? Who are you going to put in the double switch? No, it doesn't fucking matter. Well, let's let's modernize this a little bit. So yeah. like. Um, you and I were both pretty balls deep, as were I think a lot of people in Atlanta on watching the Phillies series, just like just completely watching out of hatred, hate watch. Like, oh man, I've never hate watched like this in my life, Graham. Yeah, where I was like, right. I felt like it was my own team, like where diamondbacks for your own team. Yeah, like I just knew what time the game was. Mm-hmm. I wanted to sit down and watch a majority of the game. Did you read like, Athletic Arizona Diamondbacks articles? I read Athletic Phillies articles. Right. To see the pain they were in. Oh, I, yes. I did that too. Yeah. Yesterday, I was like, Matt yes. Glebe. Yes. I was like, let me taste your tears, Phillies fans. It's, it's fantastic. But like, but back to the pinch hitter conversation. So last night, you know, their last out of the season, season's on the line. You know, they need a base runner and they bring out a pinch hitter and it's, you know, Jake Cave. Jake Cave. Yeah, right. But like, no, you knew this guy wasn't going to get a hit no. at all. And especially but, when it's like they're down four to two, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you just need someone to get on. And that's where, like, you bring in an Eric Kinski, you bring in a Keith Lockhart, uh, someone who pinch hits all the time. Now it's just, like, such a rare thing. Yeah. Like, you don't have someone that can, like, you know, just go up there and like, get you a good, a good at-bat. Like, yeah. we had freaking Vaughn Grissom. I was about to say. Yeah. Like, that was the last out of our season is right. Vaughn Grissom. It's like, come on. You, like You, you could have you stood behind Vaughn Grissom and tapped him on the shoulder, and he might have shit himself during that at-bat. Like, he looked like deer in a headlights, that whole that whole at-bat. Well, I couldn't believe last night. And, like, I was legitimately, like, feeling like it was my team. I was, like, nervous. And, like, the, the seventh. <laughs> you're going to be watching a lot. You're going to be the, watching the, the World Series. Seventh, I, I don't, Diamondbacks I, are your team. But, I'm no, I... That's the thing. I, I wasn't cheering for the Diamondbacks. I was just cheering against the Phillies. Sure. So like now I leg- you got no one to cheer. Against. I legitimately don't think I'm gonna like. I'll watch like if there's a once it's like an elimination game or something, or maybe I'll tune in for like the last few innings if it's like a Friday night and sure. I want something fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But um, Kristen Pache mm-hmm. pinch hits mm-hmm. and they freaking walked that loser. I could not believe that. Like they're just throwing him curveballs like he's a good hitter. I'm like, dude, just gas one down the middle he's not gonna hit it i promise right but you know nerves of a game seven like it's terrifying and uh, like but to walk pache in front of schwarber is just like inexcusable oh yeah it's idiotic it worked out right like, but i mean but just barely I, I doubt they were trying to walk pache but the good news is if you couldn't tell that the phillies have lost in the nlcs to the diamondbacks so the sixth seed the sixth seed of national league a team that wasn't even in the race you know, at one point when, like, us sweeping the the Cubs allowed the Diamondbacks to get that spot. Which they is were, wild. They were up three games on Arizona. And then after that, they were tied. And then Chicago faded down the stretch even more than they did um, against us when we swept them. So uh, Diamondbacks owe us a little something-something for helping them. Just like we owe the Giants a little something-something for beating the Dodgers uh, in the 2021 uh, standing so they can win the division. So pretty wild how that works out. Just like, you know, uh, a series where you're not even, you know, you're not even playing the team that's in the World Series, but you propel them to the postseason is insane. Well, there, there's some like ridiculously long, like multi decade stretch going of like whatever team beats the Brewers goes to the World Series. 
Like I'm saying about like uh, this goes Braves, back to the eighties. Braves beat the Brewers win the World Series. Brewers didn't make it in twenty twenty two. Um, but I do remember in two thousand eleven the Cardinals beat the Brewers. Cardinals won the World Series that year. I'm telling you, you can go back to the eighties. That's wild. Like every time the Brew, like it's it's ridiculous. So mm-hmm. there was the uh, the fantasy football thread that you're no longer on, right? Where there's just like a bunch of people from like Wisconsin. That's the most constant sports threat as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, someone did say, like, three weeks ago, Diamondbacks are going to go to the World Series after they beat the Brewers. There you go. So I'm like, okay. Last two times this Noted. happened. Yeah. Shit. The history is on the Diamondbacks' side, I guess, at this point to win the damn thing. I don't thing. think that, yeah. Well, I suppose if they won it all. Yeah, I don't think they always win it. Um, but, anyways. Well, I think what's interesting, to, to sort of wrap this this little baseball segment up, um, what's interesting about the series against Arizona for the Phillies, they played really uncharacteristically in the last couple of games to me in terms of how they approached their bats. There's a lot of, they were swinging a lot of bad pitches. There are a lot of bad at bats. You know, it seemed like against us, they crushed any little mistake was just destroyed against Arizona. There are times when, you know, Pafat, I don't know how you pronounce his name, or Gallant, or somebody makes a mistake, but they, um, you know, they fly out instead of hitting a home run. You know, not to take anything away from the Diamondbacks. They won the series, and they went into the bank and won two straight games, being down 3-2. That's amazing. And they amazing. changed their strategy, where they were yeah. just running wild those last two games. Yeah, they were stealing like crazy. Where they especially against doing, Real Muto. They weren't doing that early in the series, yeah, so like, they made adjustments. Hats off to Lavelle, or whoever their, their manager is, and the entire team. They did a great job. They have a good young team. Good pitching staff, a great bullpen. I watched. I only watched like a couple innings of that game last night, but I, I watched the seventh inning, and uh, I can't remember which Arizona reliever came in, but he retired three batters in a row on seven pitches, and I was like, "Well, fuck." I mean, they, the, the they dude who the pitched item. the eighth when he struck out the side, mm-hmm. like, and he got the last out of the seventh. I was mm-hmm. like, "That's some massive shit right there." Yeah, you know, it's just. Anything can happen in, in the in the playoffs, and hats off to the Diamondbacks, man. I didn't think when they went down three to two, I thought it was over. I was like, "There's no way they might win Game Six. There's no way in hell they're winning Game seven. and they did it. So good for them. I'm really happy that these Phillies aren't winning a World Series this year, even though they beat us. So fuck the Phillies, fuck Philadelphia. Love, I love that that's happened. And yes, they're still our daddy. They own us right now, but at least they didn't get to the mountaintop, and at least we have gotten to the mountaintop. More recently than they have in 2021. Well, they greased so. up the poles too early. They jinxed themselves. They were greasing up poles. They're greasing up poles for people to six. climb up and punch police horses in the face and stuff like that. I mean, that's people. Everyone's, psychopaths. everyone's going nuts about that stadium. And, like, you know, it's easy it's to a have a loud stadium when you're hitting 17 home runs like they did against us or whatever ridiculous number. But it was pretty quiet there when they weren't uh, doing well. Yeah, you know? well, I'll say the, the boos were coming back. Like, right. you know, it's they just, were booing Trey Turner like he was a leper or something and going to infect everybody. I will say this, though, and this is coming from someone who went to Game 2 of the NLDS this year, the game we actually won. Our state, our, I was not happy with our fans. I was not happy with our fans during that game. Um, I was screaming and making a lot of noise. Alexa was screaming and making a lot of noise throughout the entire game. Some of it was good noise. You were doing your part. Yeah, some of it was good noise. Some of it was like trying to challenge the guys to wake up and pretend like, hey, this is actually like stakes, you know, high stakes baseball. Like, wake the fuck up. But, you know, I was making noise the whole time. And then, like, everyone else around me was just like quiet. And the stadium was quiet. And it was like, 
even when we were down like one nothing, everybody reacted like we were down ten nothing. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Like we like it, comparing that to like um, when we went to the NLDS in twenty twenty one against the Brewers, where everybody was engaged in every pitch. Even more so in the NLCS against the Dodgers when I went to one of those games, everybody was engaged in every pitch. I didn't go to a World Series game that year, but I'm sure everybody was engaged in every pitch. And it's like no one had any confidence. Everybody was scared. And some Philly fans next to us were like, you could hear a pin drop in this fucking place. And they were exactly right. I, I was very ashamed by by our fans during that series. Well, I mean, it was just like, you know, the recent history of losing last year. And then, like, I'm sure it was a lot louder game one. But, like, losing that, like, then everyone just got nervous again. Yeah, and I, and I get it. It's like, that's the thing about Atlanta but sports fans. you got to have the, you know, you got to give your team the home field advantage. Yeah, so. like, make noise. That's what I was trying to do. I was like, I was trying to, you know, scream the whole time. I didn't have a voice the next day. And, like, people just got to get over their nerves and anxiety and just be like, it's home field advantage for a reason. And the crowd is a big reason why home field advantage is a thing. Because if you don't have a good crowd, then it doesn't fucking matter. I tell you what, as a, as a guy who loves sports, loves watching sports, I don't I don't think I enjoy going to those games. Like, oh, you afterwards, it's great if your team wins. But, like, I was looking at those poor, like, Philly fans, like, afterwards. Oh, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, like, remember, we went to the 2012-13 NFC title game yeah against san francisco and we lost that game it was brutal see like at least when you're at home you can just like turn it off instantly like try to move on but like when you're there you, you are there it. and you're financially invested yeah. and like you spent so much time yeah. the day you gotta doing live it this, it sucks it sucks and then you gotta get home and there's drunk people that are pissed off yep. and screaming and yep. you're feeding off each other's energy. Yep. It's tough, man. But like when you get the win, it's the greatest experience of your life. Well, I'll say and this. sports. So like when I went to game two of the 2021 NLCS against the Dodgers where the Austin Riley hit, you know, that drove in two runs and Ozzy scored and Rosario scored and all that stuff. And that was one of the most exciting plays I've witnessed in person in the last fucking 15 years or something that was electric i was in the outfield i was it was right the ball was hit like right at me the riley double and i couldn't see it i just saw that bastard mookie bets moving towards it. i was like oh my god this little fucker mookie's gonna catch the ball like he always does and ruin everything and i just reacted off the crowd because it literally happened right in front of us and we were just going postal everyone in the stadium was going postal like those moments you know, it's a gamble, right? Because if you lose, it's going to suck. But if you if you if you win, it is so worth it. It's worth two times more than what you spend on the tickets because the the exaltation of of the release of emotions is just so pure. And then when A Rosario hit that walk off single to win the game, it was just like that's why I knew I was like we're going to win the fucking World Series. It was like I cannot. I can. I, I'm just. I'm sitting here. If people can just see me, my hands are over my head, my eyes are closed. I'm just reliving that moment in my mind. I would take the risk of having the heartbreak of a loss to experience something like that. And the same thing when I went to game two, and Michael Harris made that play, and I experienced that in person. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I, I would rather be nowhere else than where I was witnessing that game. I hear what you're saying, though. If you lose. It is the worst thing in the world. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. Game but when you set, win, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the Phillies here, like, there's so many connections here with, you know, obviously, the interdivisional rivalry. But, like, Kimbrell blowing game three and four, it's it's almost like he was working for the Braves still. Yeah. Now he like, was like, as I got you guys. A one-year guy goes and blows, like, like they would have easily, they, they, it wouldn't have come back to Philly at all. 
And then they're probably mm-hmm. marching to World Series. But hey, that's baseball. That's, that's baseball. sports. Like the, the Harper last night, he just barely missed a couple home runs. It's the same thing with Acuna. Yeah, Acuna, with Acuna barely missed the when the bases were if loaded. If Acuna in hits game the four. grand slam in Game Four, we, we could we, be in the World we Series. We could right be now, in the World Series know? right now. You never know. But yeah, and we we wanted to touch base on Acuna real quick because yeah, I feel like we haven't really given him enough shit for, um, you know, his lack of leadership and the way he behaved after the loss where. You know, all of his other teammates stayed in the locker. They talked to the press, accountable for what happened. And Acuna just said, no habla, and and walked out. Yeah. And I think that is a big problem. And, you know, potentially, you just compare him to Bryce Harper, who is a leader on the field and off of it. Yeah, who faced the music. And I hate to say good things about Bryce Harper, but... We all hate Bryce Harper. But we would love him if he was on our team. Yeah, absolutely. It's a healthy hatred. We respect Bryce Harper. And I think it's fine to have a leader, you know, one of your best players not be a leader. But, like, the more of those guys you have, it adds up for sure. And I I think that, like, you know, we're speculating that could be part of the difference in the Braves and the Phillies right now Mm -hmm. where their best players are also leaders. Well, they have a little bit more of a senior locker room. You look at guys like Harper and Schwarber. I mean, Schwarber won the 2016 World Series with the Cubs. You know, he's been around for a while. Harper has been playing since 2010. Um, you know, Aaron Nola's been around forever. Like, it's a more like it's 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 a youngish team, but it's also like a more seasoned team. Like, you, you like there's no great Braves player right now other than Charlie Morton that's in their 30s. So it's a young team. Um, it's a nascent team. But, and, you know, Chipper did the same thing in the 90s. I remember Smoltz, I can't remember if it was the 97 or 98, somewhere in that range where Smoltz had to go get Chipper because Chipper didn't want to address the media after the Braves lost in a, in a series. And he's like, no, you face the fucking media. But also goes back to someone should be grabbing Ronnie, an older player, uh, Travis Darno, maybe, or someone like that, being like, no, this is part of the job. You face the media. Me personally, as a fan, there's part of me that doesn't give a shit about addressing the media, but it also just shows a lack of accountability, which speaks speaks to a deeper problem within this baseball team right now. And I think speaks to the locker room a little bit. And something we didn't touch on in sort of our debate last week was, you know, when you, the Braves, to me, after they clinched the division in Philly, did a really poor job of keeping the pedal to the metal. They did not get their shit together the rest of the season. And it's really hard when you spend the last two and a half, three weeks of the season not giving a shit seemingly or just playing sort of loose and, you know, not with that same intensity to turn it on in the playoffs. I think that goes back to a lack of a leadership in the clubhouse. I think it goes also back to questioning Snickers leadership to a degree and saying, what the hell is going on? Like, this is not the main objective. The main objective is winning the World Series. And you got to stay locked in at all times. They had like a bad week. I mean, they swept the Cubs. Like, they, they cranked it back up at they the end. They cranked it back up at the end, but there was, they were like, it's like two there series. were like three, two or three series where it's like it was unacceptable play, and it's hard to turn it back on, you know. And then you play the Nationals and you don't give a shit. Diamondbacks lost their last four games of the season. Yeah, you know? and you know the same thing with the Phillies. The Phillies were under five hundred in September last year before they went on their big run. So it's like, you know, who the fuck knows, right? Baseball is is a crazy thing, but it's just it pissed me off when. Throughout the season, the Braves were locked in. Big series in L.A., big series in Philly, big series wherever. They crushed it. 
and then after they win the division, they just take their foot off the gas and seem seeming like that was the objective, and nothing else mattered. And that's not the case, but that's just how it felt to me as a fan watching it. You know, it's like it's hard to it's hard to flip that switch back. Well, Strider, the other thing from that athletic article, Strider like very clearly said. The five days off is not an excuse yeah, it's at all. Bullshit. Um, yeah, I totally agree with him. Yeah, so that kind of squashes that. And like Strider is, as a very young guy, showing like real, real leadership. And and I love that. I love that he said that. And, you know, I've been saying that for weeks. And I'm, I'm glad he backed You're not me up. on the team. <laughs> I'm not on the team. <laughs> and, and, we, and, and you don't, you don't know like what the, like what it actually does to the no, athletes. I, so I don't, but I'm just saying to hear it from an athlete. And that's why it is part of their job as professionals to talk to the media. Cause yes. the media is like, that's accountability to the fans and the fans, right. they are playing the game because the fans pay money to go to the games. So like you should be accountable to the fans. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think it is important for people to uphold that side of things and say, hey, how do you go from MVP caliber player, probable MVP, to hitting 143 in the playoffs, going 0 for 4 in the deciding game? Yeah, like, it's because you got you, high on your you own need, supply. You got you got caught up in your own bullshit. I mean, that's probably not it, but like you need to say something and at least like let us know this is unacceptable yeah, you, how I played in the playoffs. It, yeah, and then you didn't say anything. And then, you know... You got to stay locked in, and it's hard to do that. And it's and it's hard. It, it really is hard to do that. Can't imagine what it is like on that level. But if you don't stay locked in, you ain't gonna. You ain't gonna. But I mean, look, you're look, not gonna finish. Look at Castellanos, who like was the best hitter in the world for the NLDS, sucked in the NLCS, and then goes like over twenty one. I mean, to sh- finish out. I mean, it's baseball. Like, it's baseball. You get Cra- it. Crazy like, the, shit the more, can happen. Like, you know, the more I watched that Philly series and like saw what they were doing, like I mean, they looked just like us. They they got overwhelmed by the Diamondbacks pitching. They were like you said, they were having bad at bats. Yeah, like we're similar teams. They got the best of us this year. Yeah, um, and last year, and last year. But hey, I think let's wrap up Braves talk. Yeah, yeah. There's not really much else to say. It's just it's nice that the Phillies will not win the World Series this year. I wish I could hate watch somebody like Diamondbacks Rangers is like the most I feel like a Fox executive right now <laughs> just because, you know, the ratings are going to be bad. Yeah. Um, but hey, that is just how it's, it shook it's out. football season and NBA starting now. So right. I got other things to move on to. One thing I'll say about baseball before we move on. This overlong segment. I think we really, you know, no, took, not, took our not, foot off the pedal. We did. We did. And I think that's a problem. Surely that's not what you're about to say. Then. No, it's not. Okay. I already said that. You know I don't repeat myself. Uh, so um, I have a suggestion for baseball in terms of not really altering the playoff format that much. You can still have six teams in each league. But what I would suggest is not do the whole buy thing and basically have one play six Two play five, three play four, and then go from there. And the and the highest seed remaining plays the lowest seed, like the NFL. So just, no just, buys, no buys, no buys. Everybody plays on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Figure out the television schedule. Fuck off. I don't care. Just like don't do buys. Everybody gets a day or two off, and then let's play baseball. Well, under that format, we probably lose as well. Diamondbacks would have stomped on us. Probably. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? But yeah. I just I just feel like. 
that would take away the excuse of saying, oh, we had to fight daily off. And all the Dodgers lost, and the Orioles lost, and the Braves lost. Like, whatever. I, I, you know, I think Spencer Strider is exactly right. But I think that would make it a little more interesting, and then no one would have that excuse if they screw up, you know? Yeah. So. Well, thank you, Graham, for your suggestion. I'm sure Major League Baseball will <laughs> consider it very seriously. Oh, uh, you know what? They might because the ratings ain't going to be shit for this series. It's, it's in the Southwest slash West. No one gives a shit about the Diamondbacks nationally. A lot of people don't give a shit about the Rangers. But I will say this. It is amazing that Bruce Bochy is doing what he's doing with this baseball team. Like, they made a lot of moves, but Bruce Bochy is one of the best managers ever. Three World Series. He knows how to win the playoffs. He might get a fourth here. I mean, hell of a job. It's his first year with the Rangers, too. Yeah. He's amazing. Let's get back into some Atlanta professional sports, Graham. I'm not going to start talking Bruce Bochy. I'm not going to start Bruce Bochy. I'm just saying he's a great coach. Huge head. He's got the biggest half Big size head. in baseball. Yeah, he might. He does. That's a fact. It's a fact. Okay. Yeah. All right, Adam, we're talking Falcons. What the people want to hear right now, this time of year. Falcons won, Adam. 16-13 over Tampa Bay. What did I say last week, Adam? I said it was going to be an ugly-ass game, 13-10, something yeah, like that. Yeah, you did. I was, I was on the money there. I, I don't bit. think you could have predicted exactly how that happened. No, but I said take the under. Yep. I said it's going to be ugly as fuck, and it was. But the Falcons go on the road and break a uh, NFL. It was it was the longest road losing streak in the NFL, active road losing streak in the NFL. I believe really? eight or nine games, and the Falcons broke oh, it. It's not that bad. Uh, no, I think the Bears were holding it before us. I thought it was going to go back to like twenty twenty or something like that. No, no, no. But uh, it was it was bad, and the Falcons did it. They got the job done, and you know what? They are now in first place in the NFC South at four and three. It's the worst division in football. But hey, we're the kings of shit mountain. There we have it. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to sit here in first place right now, Graham. Yeah. And, 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 and you know why? Why is that? Because we haven't played our best football. Offensively. Offensively. Let's yeah. talk about this defense for a second. We haven't gotten this. De- we spend a lot of time bitching about Desmond Ritter, bitching about play calling and all this other stuff. Let's talk about this defense. This defense is third best in the NFL in terms of yards given up. It's been fantastic. They're starting to get to the quarterback. Um, they got three sacks against Baker Mayfield last week, and this is this was against a team that had only given up, I think, like seven or eight sacks going into this game, which was best in the NFL, which tells me, even though the Anya Meta sack at the end was a coverage sack, three sacks against arguably the best pass protection in football is progress. Falcons stand at 13 sacks now. Um, Jeff Okuda is doing amazing work. And man coverage. This is the guy you were shitting on earlier in the year, weren't you? I wasn't shitting on him. I was just saying I don't know how this is going to play out because of the injuries and the inconsistency. But ever since he got healthy, in terms of man coverage, completions have only been made 31.3% of the time, and he has given up zero touchdowns. He's been outstanding. Landman, our new outside linebacker, has been unbelievable playing, making plays at the point of attack. He's better than Troy Anderson to me. Uh, he's. If you dive into the stats on him, he's a very good rushing yes. tackler, but yes. in coverage, he's, coverage, he's not very great. subpar. But, but Anderson wasn't great in coverage either. I can't think of one play that Troy Anderson has made that made me go, oh, shit. Whereas with Landman, he's making plays at the line of scrimmage. He's making plays at the point of attack. He's been great. Um, we're getting more pressure on the quarterback, like you mentioned. We're holding teams 
to subpar rushing performances. 71 yards given up on the ground last week. Where I think we're like the, the, the fourth or fifth best rushing defense in the NFL. This defense is excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent defense, and we need to appreciate it right now. Even though our our quality of schedule may not be great, we haven't played a world beater like the Eagles or the 49ers or Kansas City. But in terms of what we've been given in the schedule, this defense has shown up and played great football. And like you know, bringing in guys like Bates to really shore up the secondary, and obviously Akuda as well has made a huge difference. Clayus Campbell is like he's he's starting to show his presence on the field, but. You know, just his leadership in the locker room, um, I'm sure, has had a massive impact. And, yeah, I, I think you're right that we have kind of taken the defense for granted a little bit compared to, like, years past where just, like, teams would just march down the field with ease. Like, now it does feel like every time we fumble or have an interception, it's like, well, the defense is probably going to stop and we yeah, can get an easy three right. out. No problem. We'll, yeah. get, we'll get the ball back. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got we got pinion, you know. Let's, we could play the field position game a little more. Um, no, yeah, we're, we're probably you know what only have one or two wins without this great defense. Yeah, so no, like the they defense are is kind of incredible, like holding it as the offense figures it out, and like the offense is moving the ball very well the last two or three weeks. Yeah, they're like just not finishing. There's noticeable improvement, and the finishing is the next thing that's got to happen. Yeah, four um, red zone turnovers in the last two weeks is is terrible. Um, but I, I just can't get over how good this – I have a high – for the first time in six years since we started doing this podcast, the first year we started doing this podcast, we had a good defense, which was the, the 2017 team. Um. I haven't had this high level of con- like every time I'm watching this defense, I'm like, they're going to stop them. They'll force a three and out, or they'll maybe give them a couple first downs, but th- no one's fucking scoring here. Like we had one, you know, this has happened twice. AJ Terrell getting burned in single coverage happened against Jacksonville with Calvin Ridley. It happened against ja- uh, Tampa Bay with Mike Evans. Other than that, I really can't be upset. I like, I would love to have a good edge rusher to get more pressure on the quarterback, but the end of the day, if this is the what we're, our defense is doing, we're only giving up 16 points, 20 points a game. I'm all for it, man. And and they're doing such a good job, particularly in the run, forcing teams to become one-dimensional. I think that's one of the reasons we won the game is that we forced Baker Mayfield, you know, to throw the ball like 38 times. Um, and that that goes a long way. 42 times, excuse me. That goes a long way to winning football games when you can put a quarterback who's not really that good in a position where he has to the ball a shit ton of times to try and win the football game. Yeah, it, it, it was a wild one just because it, it was certainly our game to win. Like, we easily could have won this, you know, 30, 13. Yeah. Something like that. But we all left the three touchdowns happened. on the, on it the board. It would have just been such a devastating loss. But the fact that... You know, we did get it done. Desmond Ritter had, give him credit, the drive at the end of the game, found this pits. Two, three game-winning drives this year through seven games. Shouldn't have been in a position to have have to have one, but hey, no, but he, he, got, it he got it done. And got it done. Um, so, like, you know, now we'll, we'll, we'll just call it an ugly win and move on. Continue to see progress every week from Ritter, in, in my opinion. Yeah. The, the fumbles, like, that's... I don't think that's something you have to worry about being a consistent issue. I, I don't think so. And I will say this in terms of before we touch on the fumbles, like the things that I was worried about more so, like the interceptions, the not the not stepping up in the pocket, the not um, looking off receivers, just honing in on one guy. 
Didn't see that that much this week. You know, Ritter went 19 or 25, only threw the ball 25 times for 250 yards. Which is where you want him, 25. Yeah, 20 that's, 25. That, that's good. But, like, the thing that I was impressed by is just his poise in the pocket. He's getting rid of the ball so much faster. If you, if you look at him from, like, week one to now, he's made incredible strides. And I still don't know if he's the guy. I still have a lot of doubts about him. But I cannot deny the progress I've seen from week one to week whatever we are seven well and he's missing his number one receiver last week basically in Bijan Robinson yeah and he, he, he spread play. it spread the really? ball around to eight different guys we finally had a Scotty Miller showing with the big 46 yard bomb that was a great pass like, if you watch that that was right on the money yeah you can't really like shit on that it wasn't like oh that was really behind him he made a hell of a play it was like that was a good pass a good catch that's how so, it should be. So, I mean, it's great to see him not just dialed in on London and Pitts. And Lon- because of that, London and Pitts are starting to get a lot more catches now the past couple weeks. So, you know, to go on the road like this and get this ugly win, it's a step in the right direction just because of how terrible he had looked on the road. This was his first good road game minus the fumbles. And it was, yes, and it was his first road victory. So let's talk about the fumbles. The first fumble took place on a sack in the red zone. And I would put that not really on Ritter, but more on Caleb McGarry, who blew his block. Like, that was terrible. Maybe get rid of it quicker. I, that's No, you, you I don't even that. think that. This is like a Matt Ryan sack, where it was okay. like Matt Ryan didn't have time, and he just got fucked up. Like th- th- That was not on Ritter at all um, to me. Like I, I would say no fault to Ritter there. That was just bad pass protection. They got on him real fast. McGarry blew his block. The second fumble was at the one... One yard line, and the exchange from Dalman to Ritter was shit. And Ritter even admitted after the game, even though a lot of people online, I know we talked about this off air, but a lot of people online said, "Oh, you know, Dalman did a bad job snapping the ball." But Ritter stepped up, and maybe, maybe he's just sticking up for center. Maybe he's not. But he said, "You know, I was getting antsy. I pulled my hands back too fast." Um, so you can blame him for that. I don't know, but like that was is still at the one yard line. It sucks. That still sucks. I appreciate that he said that, though. You know, that comes back to the leadership qualities yes. that we've known that he has. Right. And also this, the Ronald Acuna conversation of, like, let me at least hear your thought process for what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you go on to the third one. And then I'll, yeah. I'll, I got things to say about that uh, one, too. Uh, the third one was one of the worst plays you'll see from a quarterback in the National Football League to me, where Ritter had a clear... Uh, lane to the end zone it was fine. He was going to get in there for the rushing touchdown and then let up at the last second and then got the ball knocked out. He didn't transfer the ball to uh, his other arm and the ball was knocked out and Tampa Bay took over. Um, disgusting play. Une- inexcusable play. That's the kind of stuff that Pop Warner teaches you and the fact that he let up. Like some people let up when they're running in the end zone. They know they're going to score Lamar Jackson lets up. Dak Prescott lets up. Blah, blah, blah. Lamar Jackson did that this week against uh, whoever they were playing. They destroyed the Lions. But that Lamar Jackson knows how to run in for a touchdown in the NFL. He's well-established doing that. Desmond Ritter has no excuse. And also, Lamar Jackson's not going to do that if he knows a guy's coming for him. Terrible, terrible play by Ritter. You cannot excuse that. To no. Me. I appreciate it, once again, though, hearing the explanation to where you know, he 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 knows you're supposed to, if you're running left, you put the ball in your left hand. If right. you're running right, in the right hand. But he was 
plan like it was as a run pass option. He was expecting to be throwing it on that play, so that's why the ball was in his right hand. Right. Because he's a righty. Right. And that could just come from reps. Right. And then, know? like, he just saw the lane and took it, and I don't know. Yeah, he, but he knows he screwed up. Right. Um, that, I mean, that was unbelievable, though. It's like, yes, this is the one that's going to put it away. Mm-hmm. And, like, we'd already had the almost – Drake London did, like, the exact same thing when he, like, did a ridiculous Superman dive for a touchdown and, like, somehow they gave it to us at the one instead of a fumble through the end zone. But then, of course, we fumbled it. Of course, we fumbled it. The the very next play. Yeah, that was the second fumble. It was just like, oh, man, this is just, like, some cursed shit. Yeah. I don't want to podcast anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's just quit. I'm done with sports. But it was just just crazy. It's like the week before, three picks. The week after, three fumbles. Um, And obviously, the three picks were a lot worse. But still, like, you know, I feel like the fumbles are something you can clean up a lot more than the picks. And he looks so much better in the pocket this week. Even the most anti-Desmond Ritter person has to be like, you can't really say he looked like trash in the pocket. He was stepping up. He was going through his progressions fast. He wasn't locking on guys. He was making the good throws. Like I said, I still don't think he's the guy. I'm still not on that train yet. But I will say the progression is there. He's working hard, seems like. Because he looks like a completely different quarterback from week one. Even week like three or four, he looks like a completely different quarterback. I was, I was listening to part of my take today, which normally I only listen to part of my take on a Monday. Right. The during NFL, football NFL season. Day. Yeah. But today I wanted to listen to it because of the Phillies loss. And uh, Dan or- Orvlosky, the old... Dan Orlovsky was on the show? Yeah. The cool. old ESPN guy now, old backup for the... Lions. He's on the Bears, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Had one of the worst plays in NFL history from a quarterback. You, you're talking about the Ritter play. Have you seen that Dan Orvlosky play where he. Describe it. <laughs> so he's snapping the ball from his own one. Mm-hmm. The sack is on him, and he's like, keeps backing up, and he's in his own end zone, and he takes like 12 steps, like out of bounds behind. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen <laughs> that. Yeah. 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 That's hilarious. hilarious. So they asked him yeah. about that, of course. Right. <laughs> Um, but and then like, he threw it afterwards, which yeah, was the funniest yeah. part. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, and that was their 0-16 season oh. to make things worse, and they lost by two points for that safety. Jesus. But anyways, like the first question they asked him was like, what player in the NFL are we giving a lot more shit than <laughs> they Ritter, deserve yeah. right now? He said Ritter. Ritter was the first one he said. He's like, yeah. this guy's actually like really good. Like If you look at the film and look at what he's doing, like he has made so much improvement. And like he said the same like the same thing about the fumbles like that's not something you need to worry about long term right um, so that was just interesting that was the first player that he brought up so yeah you know we're we're on the we're on the map a little bit Graham yeah and I think and hats off to Ritter man it's got to be tough to be in the position he's in with like the city ready to turn on him on a, on a moment's notice and getting a lot of flack from all, all angles and just hanging in there and doing his thing. And even though he's not a complete quarterback, he's, he's, I respect him. I still don't know if he's the guy. I still don't think he's the guy, but I respect him for the effort. The effort is there. I will never shit on a guy as long as, I mean, I'll still shit on him, but I will never like say like, fuck you to a guy who's putting in the effort. He's putting in the work who's showing me week after week that he's getting better, and he is, even though he's still making some really inexcusable turnovers. But no no bad throws, really, last week. You can there, argue there that was one. The, the one to London in the end zone? No, there was one, like, 
could have been an interception, but that was it. Right. And and mistakes are going to happen. Like, yeah. I don't mind if it's like... Matt Ryan threw five picks. Right, against the Arizona Cardinals in 2012. We all know this. Um, <laughs> standard knowledge. Standard knowledge. I, know, I remember where I was. I was in my basement with my dad, and we were watching. Like, what the fuck is going on? But, you know, it's like thing, things like that happen. But, but I will go to this, Adam, and this is something I didn't realize, is that if you're a third-round pick, you don't get a fifth-year option. So we're pretty much in year we're in year two of Ritter. Okay. These are not things I'm concerned about yet. You're not you're concerned about, so you go into like what? What do you? What you're do you talking? Think? Ex, you're thinking about an extension now? No, no. But I'm just thinking like, when do you start thinking about an extension, or when do you start thinking about moving on? Do you think about it this year, or do you think about it next year? Gotta see how the year plays out, Bo. So you see where you're at, at the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. That, that threw me for a loop. I was like, oh, God, the window's closing a little faster than I thought. I, I don't think, like, there's going to be a lot of teams Jones in to sign Desmond Ritter out from under us right probably now. Probably not. I think um, we've got a little time yeah, to figure I'd that out. Yeah, I'm probably be a little premature with that. Um, Hell, I mean, if we win 12 games and a playoff game, lock them up. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, B. John Robinson didn't really play in this game. He, he appeared on some snaps. Um, he got one carry for three yards overall in the game. Uh, on the last drive of the game, one carry for three yards. Uh, and, and Arthur Smith went on record saying he just wasn't feeling well. Hungover. Think he was hungover? Party in Tampa Bay? The, the, the place to party is Tampa Bay. It's senior Citizenville. No, I, I don't think he was hungover. Yeah, I think he had a migraine or something. Something just... Snuck up on him. I think you get you get more more worried about concussion stuff nowadays, and they're obviously trying to keep him. He's healthy. taking a lot of fucking and hits ha- this year. We have the depth there, man. Like I I liked seeing like the last year Algier CP combo. You know, yeah, they did great. They did all right. One of our best. I, I all was, right, 150 plus rushing sure, yards. Sure, but I would say Patterson was a lot more effective than Algier. Algier 21 carries for 59 yards. Patterson 10 carries for 56. Patterson averaged five point six yards compared to Algiers two point eight. I would I would say Corderell looked like a man out there. Like I love when he high steps, he runs and high steps and he makes shit happen. Yeah. Like I, I like Algier, honestly, the last couple of weeks has been really underwhelming to me. And I'm not, I'm not shitting on him in terms he did of have like forty six yard receiving. Yes, that that was important. And well. I think Algiers still a very viable back, but I'm just it was just interesting. Watching Corderell run versus him, Corderell was a lot more effective with less carries. Well, he's an out, outside of the tackles guy as well, and you know the Bucks have Vita Vea and they're, Vita they're Vea tough is inside. so fucking good. And this Bucks defense is really good. Like, yeah. Let's 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 put that out thing. too. Yeah, they, we, they're like, very good. What defense. Do we have like four hundred plus offensive yards, right. against them, right? You know? And and it didn't you know? And at the same time, we still only scored sixteen points. Like you said earlier, we could have scored thirty. 27, whatever. So I think this really sets up Adam for Tennessee next week, who's not going to have Ryan Tannehill. And even though it's on the road, Falcons are in a good spot, I think, here, where they should be able to take advantage of the situation and win another road game. Yeah, you would hope. They're starting um, Will Levis, the second-round pick out of Kentucky, who, like, you know, don't sleep on – anybody like you know we're still we've been terrible for so long we can't get cocky but um yeah if we can march into arthur smith's old stopping grounds just take care of business as we should like levis or malik willis um are both going to be playing some 
but yeah, we should totally take care of business here. Like even if Tannehill was playing, I think we should take care of business. So ho- hopefully Bijan is back. Everything's fine there. Um, and we just keep seeing improvement on the offensive side and defense keeps doing their thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think, you know, another big thing to take note of is uh, the Titans traded Kevin Bayard to the Eagles. They're all pro safety. It's like one of the best safeties in the NFL. You probably don't hear about him, but he's he's really fucking good. So that that just is another impediment. Things are lining the up Falcons. for the Falcons. Things are lining up for the Falcons. We have the, one of the best run defenses in the league. We're not giving up any you know third best in yards given up, like you mentioned. We're starting to get pressure on the quarterback. We're facing a rookie quarterback. Defense should feast. I am predicting that the Falcons' offense wake not not in that they wake up, but like the issues where we can't score in the red zone. We start to finish, and we score like 27, 30 points. Something like, you know, we score at least 27 points in this game. And we really put our throats on the Titans, despite the fact that we're in a hostile environment. Mike Vrabel is a good coach, but it looks like the Titans are starting to think about more of a rebuild than think about winning this year. There's a lot of rumors that they might trade Derrick Henry before the week's out. Because the trade deadline is on, uh, I think, on Halloween or a day before Halloween or something. So, you know... I think that this is a really good spot for the Falcons. It's also you could look at it as a trap game, but this defense is too good to screw up a trap game. And I think the offense is ready to blow up. I think Bijan will be back this week and be okay. And I, I think this will be a big Falcons win. I'm predicting, like, like I said, 27 to like 10, 27, 13. We win by double digits here. We fucking kick their ass. Let's ride this momentum. This team, when you hear them talking, you listen, you read the articles. They are together. They believe in themselves. I'm not saying this is going to be a Super Bowl team or anything. I still don't believe that. And I still, like I said, have doubts about Ritter. But it has been steady Eddie in terms of how the the team feels about each other and how their playing reflects that. I'm very excited for this game against Tennessee on Sunday. I think this is a coming out party for the Falcons. Sort of like how the Ravens came out last week and just beat the bejesus out of the Lions. I think this is the Falcons' time to step up and really say, we're going to have a statement win. We're not going to win on a last-second field goal. We're not going to win by three points or whatever. We're going to win by double digits and beat the shit out of a team that is going into a rebuild phase. Yeah, I mean, you think about some of the things we were complaining about early in the season, like the, how terrible we looked in the first quarter. That's been nipped in the bud. We scored touchdowns first drive yes. last two games. Good like, call. They're trending up. Let's just keep doing it. Yeah. Let's not go crazy. No, we don't have to go crazy. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree, Graham. Let's let's – get a good win here at least over a touchdown yeah let's not have you know the boys of atlanta zone panicking within the last two minutes if you lose this game you're not a serious team to me it's the nfl it's the nfl you, you, you can lose anyway yeah but it's like we haven't been able to get like on any will levis of, could be a stud who knows this could be the next tom brady oh well, apparently willis will also still play but you are not a serious team if you don't win this game against a guy, the team that just traded their best secondary player, who admittedly still has a good defense. The Titans' defense is still really solid this year, but like a team that has traded their 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 best secondary player and doesn't have their starting quarterback, you got to beat that team. Despite the fact that you're facing facing off against Derrick Henry, I'm not scared of Derrick Henry. This rushing defense, Anya Mata and Grady Jarrett up the middle, bring it on, mm. bring it on. All right, don't get too cocky here, Graham. I'm, I'm getting that's really bad, cocky. That's a bad man. I feel, bad I feel man. really cocky, but the Titans have a weird thing at home where even when they suck, 
they tend to play a lot better at home than they do on the road, which a lot of teams do, but they really seem to step up their game. So we'll see what happens, but I feel very confident heading in this week. I like it, Graham. And I think the offense figures their shit out, and we score at least – got to get into the 20s. The offense has to get into the 20s this week. Has to. Um, I guess that's it for the Falcons segment. Uh, we'll talk some Hawks. For those that don't know, including us, I mean, we knew, but sort of snuck up on us. The Hawks started their season – Tonight, Adam. <laughs> what yeah, the fuck? That did kind of sneak up on us. Uh, what is it? October? Yeah, I guess that's pretty standard. Yeah, they start late October, but it's still like, man. They're up by one at the half. Against Charlotte? Yeah. Got to be better I feel like than we that. always start with Charlotte every single year. Yeah, it seems like it. Trey, um, Young, Trey Young's off to two, two for ten shooting night. You know what's funny? As I heard a quote from him during NBA media days. Not that I was there, but where he said, I'm one of the best at the world at what I do. That's an exact quote. That's not a, that's one not of a paraphrase. The be- well, you said, I'm one of the best at the world, but I suspect you're <laughs> one, one of the, the best, best in, the, in world the world at, at what, what I, do. I do. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good. I think thank, that's... Thank, you for, thank you for calling me out on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to sound weird on the edit. So that will, will sound weird on the edit. Yeah. Well, now it won't be edited because that's part of the joke. But, you know, the funniest thing to me about that is um as a as a basketball player as a point guard is what as an offensive player i don't know i don't know how i felt I about mean, that he is quote. one of the best basketball players in the world yeah i mean you could say that but i don't know i'm still i'm still really up and like how with acuna with leadership i'm the same way with trey i still go back to that moment uh not in the last playoffs but the playoffs before where nate mcmillan's trying to draw up a play and trey's outside of the huddle that's just that's just fucking bullshit, man. Who's the- I, I hate that. I hate okay, that. Okay, so let's. And at- I don't think he does anything to challenge his teammates during the season. I don't see a guy who's willing to get in someone's face and say you're not doing your job. All right, let, let's look. Let's look at the Hawks because I, I think we're onto this leadership thing a lot with the Braves fresh in our mind. So this is like the Hawks nine man rotation that we're seeing so far tonight, which I think is going to be your nine man rotation. Yeah. Um, Trey Young, mm-hmm. Dejounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, Sadiq Bay, Clint Capella, Bogey, Jalen Johnson, Okongwu, Okongwu who just signed an amazing team friendly deal. A really team friendly. I don't know why the hell. So like this is the last year of his deal. He decides to sign a four year, sixty four million dollar extension. I don't get that from his standpoint, but I'm glad he's still here because Capella only has two years left on his yep. deal. Capella's getting older. Okongwu is clearly the future. So fantastic. And then AJ Griffin. So out of those nine people, I feel like Dejounte is the best leader. Slash, I mean, he's not the best player. No, he's the best but, leader. But though. he is. Like our second best player, who is also a great leader. So he's, that's, he's a good that's leader. kind of something that the Braves don't have. Yeah. Um, but Trey is still the face of the franchise. Of course. And I think, you know, Quinn Snyder having a full off season with these guys, having his staff. How does that change things? A lot of people are really high on the Hawks. Zach Lowe's really high on the Hawks, the Yahoo guy. Uh, Bill Simmons predicts the Hawks will finish in the top four in the Eastern Conference. I think our defense is going to be a lot better. And that's what Quinn Snyder was talking about. He talked about this a lot in NBA media days. He was saying, you know, we are committed to playing team defense as a unit where it's not just one guy. I think also Jalen Johnson, is. this is his coming out year. We've all been talking about it for the last couple of years. Year about three how now. This is the guy that's maybe not going to be like a superstar, but this is someone who can fill, you know, 
I would rather him at this point take over for Sadiq Bey as a starter than Sadiq Bey. You know, I think Sadiq Bey is a really good piece. I'd rather him come off the bench because I think Jalen Johnson is a more complete player from an offensive and defensive standpoint. Sadiq Bey is a better three-point shooter, but I think Jalen Johnson is a complete package. is a better player. But he's still young. Like, he hasn't – we need to – let's let's see him for a month or two. Yeah. Like, if, if – if he's comfortable coming off the bench right now, but like getting real minutes, that's fine. I'm just saying, and, like and, as and, the year goes on, yeah. if he if he shows up and plays well, he should. I think he should start. Yeah, he's certainly a really popular name right now, and like the reason we traded John Collins, right? Because it's we, like we here's a viable guy. Yeah, this is like a younger John Collins, basically. Yeah, and um, you know, you got you got bench reinforcements with guys like Patty Mills, Wesley Matthews, guys that have been around. Like Patty Mills is a guy to me. That I think is an X factor, not necessarily as a player, but a guy in the clubhouse. The clubhouse is more a baseball team, locker room. <laughs> um, That's a good point, Greg. What's the difference? Is, but this is a, well, this is a guy that played under Coach Popovich, Greg Popovich, one of the greatest all-time coaches in, in uh, the history of the National Basketball Association, who I think is, uh, you know, someone the Hawks have been missing. Um, you know, we talk about guys like Lou Williams and guys like. Um, Solo, Solomon Hill, you know, who were like accountability guys, leaders in the locker room beyond the coaching staff. We haven't had that since those guys departed. This is a guy, including West, like Mills and Wesley Matthews are guys that have been around the league for 10 plus years who know how to win in the league, who can come in here and really whip some people into shape from a, from a player standpoint. And I think that's very important to have, and I'm glad those moves were made. I'm looking forward to seeing how those guys impact uh, the locker room, and I hope they contribute on the court as well. But I think they are an important locker room presence. You, you said Patty Mills and Wesley Matthews. Mm-hmm. How old is that guy? Wesley Matthews. Yeah, let's. Check he's it an out. old cat, right? He's he's pretty old. Cat. I feel like he's been around forever. But it's kind of like uh, when, he's this is his fifteenth year in the NBA. Okay, so he's like you know a lesser degree of when we had. Vince but he's Carter. an undrafted player, and he's he's had a really really good career. Yeah, really good career. He started in two thousand nine, and he's a, a, a you know a three and D kind of guy. Been very solid for Portland and for a number of other teams over the years. Well, then, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to see how deep these rotations get if it is more than the, the nine I just mentioned because we've got the the other rookie out of Duke, Kobe Bufkin, who yeah got a ton of time in preseason, kind of as the backup point guard, but I just don't think that he's probably ready for that yet so i i, I do agree that like a patty mills wesley running, matthews running guy. the point is more of what you want sure at least early on yeah and i love this quote by uh wesley matthews all he wants to do is help lead chemistry pointers i've been at this for a long time you want to win in the playoffs but there are a lot of things you have to do in order to be ready for the playoffs and to win the playoffs. And now with the in-season tournament, you have something that's tangible, something that you can hold on to, something that you can go out and do and be champions. So I think this is a guy that has confidence, knows what his role is, and can come in and instill something into this Hawks locker room. Same thing with Patty Mills. So well, I think a- those are underrated, underrated signings um by our general manager group of uh Kyle Corver and the uh the other guy that slips my mind at this point. Well, here's a question for you, Graham. Yeah. Do you know anything about that in-season tournament? I think it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> this is trying to be more like soccer where you have this inconsequential in-season tournament that doesn't matter. 
and I don't understand it, and I think it's a load of crap. And when the when the hell does this happen? <laughs> Why is your instinct to think it's a load of crap if you know nothing about it? Well, what I know about it is that it doesn't matter compared to the uh, Larry O'Brien Trophy, so I don't give a I don't, I don't care about it. But uh, college college basketball guy, right? Love college basketball. Maui Maui Invitational. UNC used to play in that so all the time. So does it count to the regular season? Didn't, didn't you get excited by that? Well, every time Carolina wins the Maui Invitational, we go to the Final Four. So, yeah, I get excited about that. Okay. Um, all right. But what the hell is this all right, thing? here we go. Here we go. I'm going to tell you, Graham. I'm going to tell you. Let's see here. It'll tip off Friday, November 3rd, and culminate with the championship on December 9th. Good Lord. So you're going to tell me that we're spending like over a month consi- playing a meaningless... It will consist of two stages, group play, and the knockout rounds. We don't know if it's meaningless yet. All 30 teams have been randomly drawn into groups of five within their conference based on blah, blah, blah. Actually, you know what? The more you describe this, the more that it might actually be good for postseason scouting. It'll be entertaining because no one gives a shit about NBA like... Does It, it counts for the regular season, though. Your wins and loss total. I don't know. It should. There's no way that you play for a month and it doesn't count towards you it. You just keep screaming about it and I'm going to keep scrolling and reading this article <laughs> until I get an answer. Gah, blah, blah, blah. Gah, 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 gah. Yeah, here we go. All 67 all right. games played. 67? All 67 games across both stages of the in-season tournament will count towards the regular season standings except okay. the championship. Interesting. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean... If it's an in-season tournament... Actually, you know what? The more that you talk about this... Because you're actually learning no, anything I'm th- about it? I'm thinking about it critically, as opposed to saying, new thing, fuck that. I'm thinking about new thing, how can it help? Um, I think that, you know, depending on the format, you know, if it's a series, if it's like I play this team in a best-of-three series or something, or even if I don't, and I'm just playing different teams in a fast pace basis it prepares you for the playoffs it gets you ready for the postseason and you can do a lot of scouting in terms of like especially if it is a series based thing and we i don't know i don't know if you know that or or not but if it is i think that's really important for evaluating you know how you would play in in, in the real postseason so it's kind of like a pre-postseason sort of deal yeah, I think it, it gets things tuned up. It's like the World Baseball Classic, basically. Right, but it actually counts towards regular season standards. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's definitely different. So we're we are in East A group draw with the Seventy Sixers, the Cavs, the Pacers, and the Pistons. All East Coast. Yes. 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 I think at the end of the day, they just win money, which is motivation enough. Right. I mean, that, that's just the way the world works. Yep. So um, that's a nice wrinkle. Yeah. So that starts in just a couple of weeks. Where do you think this team, given its personnel, finishes in the Eastern Conference right now? You see, for Seattle, let me ask you this. Let me rephrase that question. Top six finish or not? Yes. I so think, you think we I avoid think we the play-in beyond this play-in crap? Yeah. I would like to believe that. I, I just think year two with DeJounte and Trey, their chemistry should be better. I do think it's good that we finally move as as much as I love John Collins. We needed to move on. He needed to move with, on, Yeah, too. with all these trade rumors the last couple of years. Need- and like he definitely wasn't the player that he was no. a few years ago. Which is so disappointing. So like, let's let some of these young guys go a little bit more. 
And, you know, it's a big year, though. Like, Snyder had, you know, it's good that he got those. He he basically got what Desmond Ritter didn't get a little longer time to, like, Mm -hmm. learn this team. So it's not like it's, it's basically year two almost, you know? Right, it's you're like one, year, year one and a half. Yeah, so like he should be a little more advanced than you'd expect a first year coach to be. So, I I think we should be like you know best case scenario top four seed. But if we're in the play it again, then like we really need to got to rethink a lot of got to rethink the team because like at this point you you've got new personnel in here in Bay. You still got Bogdanovich. You know you have all the guys back that you want to have back. Um, and with the exception of DeAndre Hunter, I think DeAndre Hunter is a extreme, extreme wart on this team. And I don't foresee him getting any better, honestly. Um, give him a chance. He's got well, give him a chance. He's been injured, but like he can't stay healthy. I hear he looked pretty good in the preseason. He looked decent in the preseason, but like it was weird. There's a couple games in the postseason last year where he like I was like, oh. You're dropping, you know, 25 and getting six boards. That'd be nice to see more often. It's like he's capable, certainly capable, but I feel like there's just, you know, and, and the problem with the Hawks to me is that you got too many guys like that under contract forever. And DeJounte, as much as I, I, I like him, he's under contract for four or five more years for over $100 million. And it's like Jesus Christ. I mean, you're going to have to move on from some of these guys at some point. Like now, a Kongu with a big deal, well, small team deal. friendly deal, but it's still a big deal. But then you got that's like not Bo and for the NBA, fifteen million a year. That's nothing. No, yeah, but I'm just saying it's like it adds up. So it's like, are you going to just get rid of Capella and trade him next year or this year? Probably. Um, what you know, it, it, it's uh, the way this team has been constructed and the way that this this team gave up so many draft picks for Dejounte Murray when it hasn't. And I'm I'm being unfair a little bit, but after one year, it's like a planned tournament. Uh, when we gave up three first round picks for him and another draft pick, uh, I don't have a lot of faith in this front office because of that. Because they they're committed, they're pot committed to what this roster construction is for the most part. And now we got to got to deal with it. And it's like, can you be better than the planned tournament? And that's kind of sad that we're asking that question after being two games away from the NBA Finals two years ago. On paper, it's pretty nice though. How so? Just the roster. I already, I already read it. Oh, off. That, yeah, the ro- Yeah, it could be, but you got to. We we'll just have to see how it plays elite, out. Elite two and good depth. Like I, I think a lot of it comes down to, like you said, DeAndre Hunter, and like, does he get back to the player that he was like year two? That would know? be transformative. If that if, would if be if transformative, that happens, which could, then you're a top four seed. Yeah, then you're a top four seed, especially with that front court of of a Kongwu and Capella. Um, getting boards and playing good defense. I'm all about that. Yeah. Um, what are you? What's your win prediction? Vegas has this right now. I believe at 42 uh, and a half wins over or under. NBA they play what 82 games. 82 games. So that would be like a 500 ish record. I guess 48. 48. I think if 48 gets you in the top five seed. I'm going to be optimistic too, and I'm going to say 46 to 48, some, somewhere around then, somewhere around there. You know, I think this this tournament's going to be huge for Trey Young. 
Like it's more of a more motivation early in the season, so like it, it could get us on a roll. Well, it's such, it's such a um, it's an anomaly. It's, it's something we're not used to at all. So how this affects the rest of the season could be really fascinating. It throws a huge, huge curveball at the NBA as we know it, and so how people play during it and then how they play after it will be something to certainly monitor as time goes along. So. Uh, that's your Atlanta Zone episode this week, folks. Jam-packed with baseball, football, basketball. Apparently, the United are in the playoffs and starts next week, but we don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, don't, don't even go there, Graham. We're not even going to go there. And, uh, well, I guess that's it. We'll see you next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality. Hospitality.